0: In 2016, 45 years after the hijacking, the FBI suspended its investigation of the case. While the FBI is no longer looking for D.B. Cooper, there is a community of people who are trying to solve the case on their own. Welcome to the Cooper Vortex. In this episode we are joined by the latest author in the D.B. Cooper game. This book popped up on my radar but I wasn't too excited about it because it was a children's book. Of course, I ordered it anyway. As soon as I had it in my hands, I knew I had to have this dude on the show. It's a beautiful graphic novel, 100 pages long. But most importantly to fans of this show, it's very accurate. Ladies and gentlemen, my good friend, Tom Sullivan. All right, Tom, well, I've got your new book, Escape at 10,000 Feet. The first thing I'm going to say is I have alerts set up for G.D. Cooper. So Ah. (laughs) this book comes out, I see it. And my first thought is, okay, it's a children's book. I'll order it. If it's bad, I'll just give it to my kids and move (laughs) on with my life. And I ordered the book and immediately when I got it in the mail, I was blown away. It was a lot more detailed than I expected. The illustrations are incredible. And most importantly to me, you got the story very right. There was awesome. very little in there where I I wouldn't even say disagreed. I would say there were parts where I was like, ah, oh, "That's kind of debatable," mm-hmm. but super accurate, really good. I mean, my daughter she just turned eleven, so like I said, I bought the book kind of for me, but I thought, "Yeah, if it's bad, I'll give it to." Her. When I opened <laughs> it, I thought, "Oh my gosh, I'm gonna give this to her for her birthday," which yeah, was right? Saturday, because it, it the book really is just so good. So having now, you know, told you how great you are. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Why'd you choose D B Cooper for the subject of this book?
1: You know, the inspiration for this, like I when I pitched this series, I pitched it as a series. So we're doing three books to start and hopefully more. Um, And the three cases are D B Cooper. Uh the next one's the Escape from Alcatraz. And then the third one is an art heist that happened right here in Boston. And so initially I was Isabella thinking about, Gardner
0: Museum yeah, yeah. Heist. Yeah. Love that story. Love. Yeah. That it's story. A, that's
1: a crazy story too. Um, so originally I was thinking about doing that one as like a picture book because I thought it would be kind of cool, like an interactive book where you kind of, you could rip the paintings out or something, you know. Um, but anyway, you know, when you, when you pitch a book series, like you do it, it's all on spec. And so you're just hoping that your agent likes it. And then from there, you're hoping that your publisher likes it. And so you kind of have to just pick the one that you, you really want to spend the next few months with. And to me, that was Cooper that was like, because that story, I mean, I can't remember when I first heard about it. It's one of those great, like American folklore stories now, you know, like, just such a cool, like, stranger than fiction uh, You know, it feels like a movie uh, when you you get all the steps, and so that was the one where I was like, okay, like if I'm doing these next three or four months unpaid, like that's that's the story that interests me the most. So that's oh, why man, I started after my Cooper. own
0: heart. Yeah. <laughs> so you decide the first one's going to be DB Cooper. How yep. old are you, Tom?
1: Uh, I'm 39.
0: You're 39. Okay, so you're just four years older than me. This happened well before we were born. Yeah, how how did you get into the case? When was the first time you heard about it?
1: Oh man, I mean, I I used to watch Unsolved Mysteries as a kid, so I remember it from there. And then, was Do you remember that show, Prison Break? There was a character on Prison Break that was supposed to be DB Cooper, and he told them where the money was hidden. And you know, when they broke out of jail, they were going to find the money. so I think that was, that was like my early 20s. So that was when I started thinking like, wait, what is this case again? Like, let me read more about that. And then it kind of sits in the back of your head for another decade before you use it, you know? Um, and that's like anything as a writer. Like sometimes you'll come across an article and you won't know what to do with it yet, but it'll, it'll come down the line, you know? Um, so yeah, just like that. It's just such a wild story. Um, it's definitely like the, a wild story like jumping out of a plane in the middle of the night with probably no experience parachuting <laughs> you know
0: and not um, even any precedence yeah just oh
1: just crazy and it it seemed like it just you know there there are a lot of books out there about d.b cooper but they are all you know not disguised but it's like these these writers all have like a theory and and a lot of times these books are just they're just theories. And they, they picked this one suspect and kind of developed it for 200, 300 pages. And so this book, obviously, children's books, much shorter at 100 pages. And I didn't want to do any theories. I wanted to just kind of stick to the facts and let the reader kind of make their own uh, assumptions based on
0: that. You did a fantastic job. I remember getting to the suspects page of your book yeah. and it's like, <laughs> the best suspect is Richard Floyd McCoy. And I thought, okay, here we go. The rest of the book's going to be, it's McCoy. And then yeah. that page ends with, Oh, but it's not him. Yeah. that's it. <laughs> and I like the way it ends because it ends the way things are left today. Yeah. You know, I appreciate that this is a kid's book because it will bring kids into this case and keep this case alive, which is something I care about. Uh, yeah. Quite a bit. Exa- I
1: mean, of course. And
0: And you're doing it in a super accurate way. You're telling them the story in an accurate way. The facts are there. I mean, you have like Donald Nairup in there. You have the NBA (laughs) container for the parachute. I mean, these are are facts that maybe a 10, 11 year old doesn't necessarily need to know, but it's there and it's accurate,
1: Mm.
0: which I thoroughly enjoyed.
1: Well, thank you. That's great to hear because you know I did it for people like you, like people that knew this case and, and knew that knew all the bones about it. And, you know, sometimes people write a children's book and just kind of gloss over some of these details. So they're not necessarily Easter eggs, but they're there for the, the people that really know the case will know that, okay, like this is like you're saying, this is accurate. This isn't just kind of a fairy tale story or, or just like a quick summary. Like this is, these are the facts of what happened. Um, and the parachute, like you mentioned, the NBA, like that's that's like a, a really important detail. Like, you know, why use that parachute instead of the sport skydiving parachute? And, you know, we can go on and on about that stuff.
0: <laughs> oh, definitely. <laughs> I just enjoyed I mean, I enjoyed the first page. This is a true story. And then the investigation starts another black page. Three thousand days later. I, I literally laughed yeah. out loud when I saw that. <laughs>
1: I know. It's funny how that worked out, right? Like, it's exactly 3,000 days. Yeah, so I've heard Brian a couple people say that, that before.
0: But it's never really brought up, you know, it's just one of those magical no, things. No, it it's just chase. wild.
1: Like, just coincidence.
0: So when was it that you started this process? When you said, okay, my first book's going to be Escape at 10,000 Feet.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Like, I, it was finished. The artwork was finished about a year ago. Like, right now. Um, like right when the pandemic started, I was finishing up. Um, so it's easier to remember that, right? <laughs> um, but the the whole process of, of writing a book and especially an illustrated book, like there's a lot of time. So I wrote it and I wrote a much, not much longer, but it was probably about 150 pages. And we really condensed it down to the essentials and, and we took some of the pages that were spreads and made them panels And there's a lot of back and forth when it comes to just sketching. Um, So we probably spent most of the summer doing that um, before summer 2019, I guess, before really getting into it. And then, yeah, I spent about the winter uh, illustrating it and then been home ever since.
0: (laughs) (laughs) This will probably be the last time I, I have to kiss your ass about how good the book is. (laughs) <laughs> on the sources page this was mm-hmm. something i really loved also jeffrey gray's skyjack ralph Himmelsback's norjack bruce mm-hmm. smith's mountain news the citizen sleuth the db cooper forum and sluggos n45 i'm sorry n467 us website We're all yeah. cited in the sources of your book and <laughs> i don't think there is a more accurate set of sources than what you no. have there for the db cooper case
1: sluggo's site in particular man that was the best one and then i, I think it's down right now um it, he
0: let it lapse he he's yeah. he washed his hands of db cooper let <laughs> the site lapse and it's just on the web archive now which you referenced That's where we had also
1: use, use the source you know that was the day like like sources came up towards the end of finishing the book and it was like okay all right let me you know find my document and get all my links set up and then it's like, geez, what happened? Like, this was the site that, like, this was the site. You know, like, he had the timeline. He had a lot of these, like, transcript documents and a lot of like crucial pieces that I used. So, thankfully, yeah, it's archived and it's there forever. Um, but yeah, what a what a cool site that guy put together.
0: Really cool site. And uh, I always wonder if I'm going to have to leave the vortex like him and just one day say, "Okay, done. No one talks yeah. to me ever again." because <laughs> uh, I, I don't know anyone else who has escaped the vortex a lot
1: no right <laughs>
0: <laughs> i wouldn't have guessed i'd be asking uh, someone who wrote a children's book some of these questions but mm-hmm. your book is very accurate you definitely did some legitimate research on this it wasn't like you just read the wikipedia page
1: and, no, and put together not. a children's
0: book do you think the f- the flight path is accurate
1: for the most part, I think, you know, I think the pilots would have known where they were going. So, yeah, I mean, I haven't read too much that I I know a lot of people have theories that there's maybe a 20 mile range that it could have gone in, but that's not that vast, I guess. Right. Like, um, I mean, yes, of course it's not like a highway that you can follow because it kind of goes through the middle of nowhere. Right. Um, so it can only be so accurate as like a marker drawn on a map can be. Um, there was no real, I guess, GPS at the time. So it's, they don't have like pinpointed points. But I think that in terms of the general area, I think it was pretty close.
0: Do you think he survived the jump? No. Really? As much
1: as I want to, as much as I want to. Like some of the, the uh, you know, the factors just that like, like taking a, a parachute that you cannot steer for one. Like so a lot of these suspects, like that that was one of the things. Like a lot of these suspects are experienced paratroopers or or you know, guys that were in NAM and were jumping out of planes regularly. Like they just they wouldn't have taken that parachute, I don't think.
0: Well, I could give you the argument against that, which is okay. Yeah. They're military. So that's what they're more familiar that's with. That's the
1: military shoot, true.
0: And then the other argument which is a little bit debatable uh i had mark metzler on the show who's been skydiving for like 50 years okay he, he theorized that that sport shoot uh that para commander i believe it was called
1: mm-hmm. he said
0: there's a chance that if that airliner was going too fast you open that sport chute and it gets shred to pieces because it True. was never designed yeah. to be opened at that speed no, whereas that military that shoot height. definitely was
1: yeah So yeah, I mean, that's, that's, again, that's what's so interesting about this case is like every single like theory or, or, uh, you know, there's always a detractor to everything. Like, um, just, just, there's always like an opposite thing that could have happened. Um, And that's just what makes it so interesting. It's, it's the what ifs, like if we really knew kind of what happened, like it wouldn't be as interesting, I guess.
0: Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, everything in the in the whole case just adds question like the Tina Bar money. Mm-hmm. Why is it there? How did it get there? Uh, I love that you even <laughs> yeah. have a diagram of how a dredge works in your book. I loved that.
1: That's important, you know, because that whole, you know, Columbia River dredging, if if that money had landed there, like if it had just fallen out of the air and happened to land in Tina Bar, it, it would have been a few feet underground. And for it to be right there on the surface and, and for that kid, for Brininger to just be like, you know, like, what are the, the odds of that? You know, not even one in a million. Like he happens to move this spot of dirt. Like if he had been six inches over, you don't find the money, yet, you know. But like, how did that get there? Oh, man. <laughs> Aliens? <laughs> Who knows? Right.
0: And he finds, he finds it by brushing sand with his arm how long is an eight-year-old's arm 12 inches exactly
1: yeah (laughs) it's just so many factors
0: you mentioned your next book is alcatraz Mm -hmm. i did an episode with the gentleman uh dr david gold who theorizes that frank morris and the anglin brothers escaped from alcatraz and then frank morris commits the <laughs> skyjacking
1: <laughs> now that would be something
0: <laughs> uh he also theorizes that frank morris was the zodiac killer
1: oh okay so morris is a busy guy huh?
0: <laughs> very very busy yeah are, are you going to approach that theory in the, in the next book ah, i think we might leave
1: that one to the wayside <laughs> physical descriptions for starters don't match up at all morris was like a tiny little guy That's why he was able to fit through the small hole in the wall. Um, That's just one of the the things, you know, skin tone and height and and everything. Um, No way.
0: (laughs) Do you have a favorite D.B. Cooper suspect? Or I guess probably not if you think he died in the jump.
1: Well, you know, yeah, that's for every belief that he died in the jump. Like, If he did survive, like the money would have turned up somewhere. Like he would have had to spend some of it. All these people, like I, or if he made it and then realized he couldn't spend the money and just kind of ditched it, like what was it all for? And, and then at that point, why not come out with a deathbed confession that was more plausible? Like a lot of these guys that confess in their deathbed, the fingerprints didn't match, the hair samples didn't match, the DNA didn't match. So, favorite suspect? I mean, Christensen is interesting because there's a lot of factors that it could have been him, but same thing, there's all these reasons why it wasn't him. He was an experienced uh, paratrooper. Uh, his money was accounted for.
0: He continued to work for the airline for years. Yeah, he
1: continued to work for the airline. I mean, and then with Dwayne Weber, he like went and visited Tina Bar. But it's the same thing. DNA doesn't match up.
0: Well, the um, DNA is questionable. Yeah. The FBI has kind of walked back the, that they have DNA when before mm-hmm. they even said the DNA could rule someone out, but it couldn't necessarily pin a suspect okay
1: yeah and and i know some of the evidence has gone missing like the cigarette butts they can't find those anymore and um but yeah uh who's your favorite suspect i gotta ask
0: i don't know it changes over time yeah people ask me that i'm less sure of who db cooper is now than when i started this show almost four years ago
1: (laughs) no kidding right (laughs) oh yeah
0: there's i have so much more questions now than answers and that's I think why it's called the vortex and why you get sucked in and you can't leave is because it's just, it's just always more questions and we're never figuring anything out.
1: Yeah. Um, You know, I really love the McCoy story, but he was just so much better at it than Cooper was uh, down to like, he had a a flight, uh, not a flight suit, a jumpsuit, like in his checked luggage. And that was one of his demands was to get his bag along with the money. And then he actually made it and then, you know, got found in the desert. Um, and then he, and then he has the shootout with the FBI. Like,
0: <laughs> yeah. And he but, brings um, his own parachute on board. Yeah. The FBI puts tracking devices and the parachutes he's given, he throws them out of the back of the plane. So they go searching after those.
1: Yeah.
0: He actually was flying a helicopter for the national guard immediately after that, looking for himself, which is my favorite <laughs> part of the story.
1: I didn't hear that part. That's crazy. Yeah,
0: he was flying helicopter for the National <laughs> Guard so he lands within 3 miles of his house. His yeah. wife picks him up. They get lunch on the way home. Spend $30 of the 500,000. When he gets yeah. home, National Guard calls him. He rushes down there, gets in a helicopter and starts flying around looking That's for him. That's so wild, yeah. <laughs> yeah, what a badass move.
1: I mean, yeah. So he would have been a great prime suspect, but the age doesn't line up. And he was just so much better at it
0: than Cooper was. Well, I think, you know, his plan was better, but his execution was much worse. Like people were aware that something was going on with him. Um, Yeah. He made a scene in the bathroom before the plane took off. And Mm -hmm. so his plan was better, but his execution was poor. Whereas Cooper was famously, you know, calm, cool and collected. Yeah, cool as a
1: cucumber. You know, I liked the theory that the Susan Sleuths had about uh, just a disgruntled Boeing employee, Um, and that's why he had the particles in his tie. And uh, so someone that was familiar with the plane, but not like familiar enough, you know, book smart and had never actually jumped out of a plane, but figured that they could probably do it. Um, I always liked that theory. Um, Just, oh, man, you know, one of those things.
0: I've been intrigued by the theory lately that McCoy knew Dan Cooper. Okay. So McCoy wasn't Dan Cooper, but they knew each other because the hijackings were so similar. So maybe
1: it's so this close guy pulls too. It off yeah.
0: six months apart. Mm-hmm. So this guy pulls it off. And then I'm like, I got to go tell my buddy, you know, Hey Richard, I just did this. I think you <laughs> could do it too. Cause you're a badass like me. Um. Here's the plan I used. Here's where I made some mistakes. You could improve on. Mm -hmm. So I have no evidence to support that, but (laughs) I really enjoy thinking about it.
1: Yeah, that would be that would be a good movie right there.
0: (laughs) Was the bomb real?
1: I I don't think so. Um. You know. So one of the details I left out of my book. I, I made sure that I could back up every source. And one of the things I read was that dynamite isn't red. Like dynamite's only red in in cartoons and movies and stuff, and then in real life it's like brown or gray or whatever, and and they they describe the dynamite as eight reddish sticks. Uh, that's uh, either Tina Mucklow or Florence Schaffer. I forget who said that, but um, and I, again I couldn't find anybody that could tell me what color dynamite actually is, <laughs> so I didn't include that detail in the book, but it. You know, if I I were to make a fake bomb, I would make my dynamite red, not knowing that it's really brown. So again, it's, you know, one of those things, like every little detail in this case has a, it could be, but it could also not be. And this is why.
0: Yeah, I I agree with that. I used to be 99% sure the bomb was fake. Um, These days I'm probably more 90% sure with my Mm -hmm. only caveat to that being if someone calls you on your fake bomb and it's fake, you're totally screwed at that point.
1: Yeah, true.
0: But who calls someone on their bomb being fake, especially in an airplane?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, the, just the frequency of hijackings going on at that time um, in the late 60s, early 70s. And the airlines all had a policy that was like, whatever the hijacker wants, we're going to do it so you know they they had a policy in place not to put up a fight there were no marshals on the plane back then and it was just you could walk in with a uh, what was it did mccoy have a grenade was that it
0: yeah a phony grenade a phony an grenade? unloaded yeah. handgun and his own parachute walked yeah. onto a plane with that
1: yeah so you know you could just say i i have a bomb in my briefcase Flash them you know some painted paper towel tubes and a tied up to a battery and to a flight attendant that might look real enough and then you you close it shut and no one sees it since so who knows i I don't think in 1971 you could have hijacked a plane with a paperclip probably
0: (laughs) yeah i mean and it is the stereotypical cartoon bomb like if you had a cartoon and the cartoon character doesn't matter the cartoon opens the briefcase and it has a bomb in it it's probably going to be drawn as a couple red sticks, probably an alarm clock with the bells on the top. Yeah, and, exactly. <laughs> and it's some a Bugs wires and a battery <laughs> running to it. Like that's what I picture Cooper's bomb looking like in my head. Mm-hmm. Just like the stereotypical 70s cartoon bomb. Yeah. It's probably not a real bomb, but.
1: Probably not. And also, you know, like if you do have experience with that kind of stuff, like uh, from what i've read dynamite's like pretty unstable so i don't know if i want to jump out of the back of a plane with eight sticks of dynamite you know <laughs>
0: why do you a lot think of mistakes you can happen them, whether or not it was real
1: evidence fingerprints um, you know i think smoking was so common back then that you didn't think about dna well they didn't know anything about dna in the 70s but fingerprints you wouldn't think about uh, like a cigarette butt it was just so automatic to toss it trash it stub it whatever um, but, and also, you know, I don't know why take the bomb and leave the tie. Right. So who knows? It could have just been, I, I came on this plane with this bag. I'm leaving with this bag.
0: Yeah. It's also some people reported he had like a small canvas bag or paper sack with him.
1: Yeah. And that could have just been from a store, like a pack of cigarettes or a sandwich, um, anything in purchased in the airport, most likely I, that's what I thought of that was anyway. That's true um you know because every time you go in there you, you you go into an airport you you're there a little early you get a coffee a donut or whatever i don't know
0: what do you think of the dan cooper comic book connection
1: is it a wild coincidence or is it you know everyone has that kind of a uh, little inspirational moment somewhere like someone had to someone didn't just pull that name out of thin air they either knew it dan cooper or were familiar with the comic book or uh I forget who it was. One of the suspects did know a Dan Cooper. Um, can't remember who, but um, yeah, uh, I think it's definitely possible. But at the same time, you would have had to be like a pretty hardcore French comic geek to know that comic book in the United States in the 70s. Um, I don't think it was translated into English until well after the fact. So, yeah, I mean, that's why... Um, they theorize it could have been someone who spent time overseas or a French Canadian, or, um, you know, the accent is, a, is another interesting detail that he had no real accent, like a total flat accent, something that um, French Canadians kind of speak their English in, or so I've heard. But yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's another one of the great mysteries of this story.
0: I, I like to say, if I robbed a train, And then I escaped by shooting webs out of my hands. And the (laughs) name on my ticket was Peter Parker. That's more than a little suspicious. Yeah. It's more than I just randomly chose a name and landed on Peter Parker. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to choose that name, you have, when you give a fake name, you have an unlimited choice of fake male names. Exactly. And to land on the one of a daredevil royal air force test pilot and
1: skydiver
0: it's pretty crazy it's pretty
1: on the nose yeah
0: (laughs) with that i want to ask you you reproduced that picture with permission from the weinbergs it says in your book Mm -hmm. did they have anything to say about the connection
1: no uh so i i never spoke with them that was all done uh via my publisher
0: Um, So when that happens,
1: you know, I had the idea for this is how I'm going to present this page in my pencil sketch, you know, legally, can we do this or do I need to just sort of draw a random Air Force pilot and we'll say he's Dan Cooper. (laughs) Uh, So my publisher reached out to this, the French publisher that uh, publishes the comics now. And then I think they went to the Weinberg. Then It was, you know, through many different connections. Um, so I never spoke to anybody there, but it would have been interesting to find out their opinion.
0: It would, I've been working on that angle a little bit, so hopefully, I'll make it happen one day.
1: I think they like the publicity, if anything. (laughs) Um,
0: you know, it's always good for someone to pick up that that have bought that comic book just to put on their shelf, yeah, myself included. So, nice. (laughs) (laughs) Why do you think so many people have confessed to this crime, Tom?
1: You know, I that was another aspect of the book that i was going to look into and i ended up opening up this whole can of worms like why do people confess to crimes they didn't commit and it's just this strange phenomenon right like like someone is dying and instead of spending that moment with their family or whoever they just make up this this lie on the spot like it was me i did like they they want their 15 minutes of fame or or who knows like it's just such a strange occurrence that like like why are people doing this you know so bizarre um, you know to have your one of your last thoughts you know I shot JFK or, or whatever um, just so strange
0: yeah and a lot of times it puts the family member on what could be a lifelong goose chase
1: yeah exactly all of a sudden you you know your widow is on 60 minutes and the news is knocking at the door and everyone's accusing you of this that or, or they're accusing you of just being a liar and And you're dead and gone. You don't have to face those consequences, but someone does. It's just such a, you know, it's a strange, strange thing.
0: Yeah, I've been thinking about what I'm going to say on my deathbed now. So (laughs) probably going to be on my family. I buried a bunch of money in northern Wyoming. Oh, man. What do you think of the fact that there were two primary sketches released and they both look pretty different?
1: They are, yeah, they are pretty different. Um, And that is just like if you, uh, you know, ask 10 people to describe one person, you're going to get 10 different descriptions. And I don't know how sketch artist works, um, but yeah, it's like two pretty different looking sketches. And and I just found that a little odd myself. Um, Like the hair was different, the nose. Yeah. It's pretty weird. (laughs) Uh, But at the same time, when you're on a plane, like do you really pay attention to someone that just buzzes by you and then they're in the back of the plane. You maybe see them for 20 seconds your whole life. Like, what details are you going to pick up on? What details are you going to mess up? You know, memory is a funny thing. And um, the the mind gets so distorted sometimes. And you can remember things differently and you you can become convinced that that was truth when in fact it was not.
0: Oh, definitely. And I think about the height, especially all the time, like look at someone in an airplane and tell me how tall they are. I mean, unless they're abnormally tall or abnormally short.
1: Exactly.
0: Everyone's pretty much the same. We're all kind of hunched over and sitting in our chairs. Mm Mm-hmm. I've always been baffled by, Oh, he was this tall, but yeah, no one ever really saw him stand up.
1: Yeah. You know, a great uh, example of that. I read somewhere that like the lines on the highway, those dashed lines are like 10 feet long. So when you're driving in your car, that line does not look 10 feet long to me anyway. (laughs) That line is it it could, I would have guessed like three feet. If I had to guess 36 inches would be my guess for that. Um, So you know, how good are you at gauging height from a distance and with the perspective of, yeah, like an airplane and the seats, can that throw you off? Wow. I mean, yeah, there's, a, there's so many different factors that, like, for there to be dis- discrepancies with, you know, 35 different people describing one person. You're going to get 35 very different descriptions, I guess. And that's why there was, uh, you know, I think two people mentioned Marcel Le hair, which is like a very specific style. And that didn't come up until recently, but yeah. And you know, so these two people saw that, but the other 33 did not. What's up with that?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, you have to think these people weren't aware they were being hijacked till they got off the plane and couldn't see it anymore. Yeah. What would it take to solve this case, Tom?
1: Hard evidence. (laughs) You need, you need either someone to still be alive in their nineties to say it was me. Here's, here's some of the money left or, uh, or just you get lucky. That's what happens, right? Um, with a cold case. Like, usually, more often than not, it's not like hard detective work that solves these these age-old cases. It's just pure luck. Um, the same luck that Brian Ingram had when he found that money. Like, someone someday might get that, or they might not. We'll, we'll never really know.
0: Do you think this case will ever be solved? I think it could. I
1: think it could. You know, you, I think about... Um, I think it was probably, oh, within the last 10 years, they're, they're like pretty sure they know who like Jack the Ripper is now. But that, you know, that's an old case. And for a long time, nobody had any idea who Jack the Ripper was. And so something will happen. Someone somewhere will have some evidence or someone will buy a house and find something hidden in a wall or, or who knows what will be that kind of X factor. But I think it will be solved someday, yeah. Although we're coming up on 50 years, so... <laughs> yeah, the Hopefully FBI gave soon. up
0: five years ago. Yeah. How often have they given up on cases?
1: Uh, so, interestingly enough, um, well, yeah, do they turn the case over do they give up? I guess D.D. Cooper, they, they full-on gave up. Uh, but with the Alcatraz case, 1979, they turned it over to the Marshals and said, you deal with it. And the U.S. Marshals still have that case open, but the FBI, so for that was only like, you know, 15, 16 years. And then they were like, all right, we're done. So, yeah, I don't know. I think, you know, especially a case like this uh, one of the things I read was they just got tired of having to like deal with all these crazy tips that were leading nowhere. And, you know, you you have someone on salary that's dealing with this every day and that must get boring. Right. If, if your only job
0: right where they left off, I deal with all (laughs) the crazy tips now. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) exactly right but if you if you spent eight hours a day just like kind of going over db cooper for a long time you know it it would be awesome and then it would start to get tedious and then you'd probably get angry and feel like you know when 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 is something gonna happen um so you have to just move on at some point i think
0: yeah i uh i had bruce that's where we pick it up (laughs) i had bruce smith on my last episode and he and I talked about reading the FBI files now that they're released. Mm-hmm. Um, we get the sense, you know, 77, 78, they had nowhere to go. Uh, yeah. They had no idea who this guy was and had chased all their legitimate leads and all their nonsensical leads, mm-hmm. um, you know, by seventy seven, seventy eight, 78. And then the money find happens in 80 and sort of invigorates the case a little bit, but It's quickly that leads to nowhere, also. Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, I mean, similar to Alcatraz in that, okay, we, there's nowhere to go from here. So, yeah,
1: you you use all feasible leads.
0: I guess I couldn't turn it over to the Marshals.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Just put that file on somebody else's desk and hope for the best. Yeah. You know, that's, that's the thing. Like uh, eventually all the people involved are going to be dead and gone. And, you're just not going to have answers. And yeah, we're here talking about it though. Still, you know,
0: but I I have nightmares about the fact that it gets solved and we find out that, Oh yeah, it was Tom Sullivan senior who hijacked (laughs) the the plane, but uh, he passed away in 1997. So we don't get to find out what happened when his boots hit the ground. Like that is my worst nightmare that the case is solved but without answers. all the
1: questions remain. Yeah.
0: Right. I want to know when his boots hit the ground and he looked around, where was he? What was his plan then? where did he go? What did he do? Yeah. What happened to the money?
1: Yeah. It, it, it's so, so strange. Like if it landed in the water, the money is gone, but then how did that, how did, you know, a couple bundles wind up on the beach? Um, if he got sucked out to sea, why didn't all the money too? Why is there no fragment of parachute in the woods, though? People have combed this area, like over and over and over, just trying to. And they found parachutes. They found other stuff. They found a shoe or whatever. But it's not his. It's not. You know, there's there's stuff out there, but it's not his stuff. You know, it's a it's a big vast area, but in the grand scheme of things, it's it's small. It's it's the United States. We're not talking about the middle of like Antarctica.
0: Yeah, Um, and I I grew up in that area. So okay. I know it's not as remote or as wooded as people no, think. No, yeah. Like, there's roads and railways and creeks everywhere. If, yeah. if you dropped me randomly industry. in that area, any time of the year, uh, I, could, I could find my way out. And I'm not like yeah. this wilderness survival badass. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> uh, a regular guy. Yeah. And it's, he's not dying of hypothermia for quite a long time. Uh, in no. the, in that wilderness, he he'd be fine if he landed yeah. and was able to to walk or to move. Uh, he'd probably be okay. Yeah, unless no he predators. just there's augured no... into the ground, as Ralph Himmelsbach like to say.
1: Yeah, um, you know, one of the theories is if, if he lands in Lake Merwin and you're covered in the chute, he might have just swam in the wrong direction and went down instead of up, and you know you, you're in the dark and you. It's got to be a pretty, I've never jumped out of a plane, but I, I imagine jumping out of a plane in the pitch dark, it's got to be a pretty discombobulating experience. Um, yeah. <laughs> and you know, it, it just, who knows what he could have gotten. Yeah. Like I think the citizen sleuths think that he was just sucked out to sea eventually. Um, all those rivers will eventually dump out into the ocean. Um, but yeah, who knows? But then again, if he did, why didn't the money? And it's so crazy.
0: <laughs> they searched Lake Merwin with a submarine. Yeah. A private company went looking after him, thinking, oh, maybe we could get the reward for this. It'd be worth our time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> and didn't find but anything. Nope. Nothing. Yeah. It's a wild story.
1: Yeah, it really is. And, and that's what's so cool about it. Um, you know, there aren't that many out there like this. And. It just, it just really like, uh, it's like a pure adventure story, you know, and you just want there to be like an ending. That's, that's what we want. We want the ending to the story and will we ever get it? Who knows? But I sure hope so.
0: so like you I. said, like, I don't, I don't
1: just want a, a name too. I want the answers to, the, to at least some of the questions, you know, how do he do it? where do he go? Why didn't he spend the money? Um, why did some of it turn up? what happened to the rest? It's just
0: crazy. Yeah. I had, uh, this guy, Arthur Friedberg on the show, who's a currency expert, mm-hmm. um, you know, not an expert on DB Cooper, just U S paper currency. And okay. uh, he said, I'm very confident if any of that money entered circulation, um, it would have been found you know, yeah. because you had, you only had 5,800 bucks that showed up. Mm -hmm. So he said, you know, if you have $190,000 entering circulation in 20s, the odds that one of those bills would have shown up in a flagged transaction, he said, yeah, I think 100%.
1: Yeah. Even if the bag burst open in the middle of the sky and and all the money went every which way, you know, like the placard, like the placard was found so far away from the flight path. But that's like a little plastic flimsy piece of practically paper. So that, that stuff could float around you know, someone is going to find one of those 20s if, if they all just kind of burst in the sky. Um, whether it's just someone walking down the street, oh, here's a 20. You don't think anything of it. If you find a little money, cool, all right. I'm, I'm going to use this instead of the money that's in my pocket. And like you said, somebody would have spent it. Uh, and it would have been flagged. It would have turned up at some bank or, or something. But it
0: yeah. didn't. And those 20s quickly became worth more than $20 a piece. So if you found one in the woods, you wouldn't say, oh, I'm going to go buy a six pack and a pack of cigarettes with this. You would say, oh my God, I found some DB Cooper money. I'm going to sell Mm -hmm. this $20 bill that I found.
1: Yeah. But even if you knew nothing about the case and you just found a 20, you'd probably just spend it because you just found 20 bucks, right? Like uh, if you just happened to, you know, if you were a logger and you're cutting down a tree and. You just see a $20 bill lying there. Huh, How did this get here? You don't think too much about it. You just put it in your pocket and move on.
0: Uh, but I guarantee happen. you all of the loggers in that oh, area yeah, yeah. in, <laughs> they're the, they're 70s, yeah, in the 70s were looking for, for sure. D.B. Cooper and his money. I guarantee you <laughs> No, no kidding. Yeah, they
1: were. You're right.
0: <laughs> Every day going to work. Oh, I wonder if I'm going to find D.B. Cooper out yeah, there.
1: Yeah, I wonder if I'm going to get rich today. Yeah.
0: <laughs> all right, Tom, what have we not covered? Oh, let's
1: see. Uh, We went over some suspects, favorite suspects, what we think is happening, you know, familiarity with the plane.
0: What are your thoughts on the familiarity with the plane? There's two schools of thought there. Mm -hmm. I guess three. One is he's a Boeing employee. Yeah. He had some involvement in what the CIA was doing in Vietnam with 727s. Yeah. Uh, Or three, he didn't know and just guessed correctly
1: yeah no i don't think you just i you know i don't know if the general public unless you were an aviation enthusiast would have known anything about a rear staircase on a plane like when i go fly on a plane these days or used to anyway i i, I don't know the ins and outs of the plane i'm flying on you know, i just kind of get on the plane and go um but so it was definitely someone that was either just an amateur aviation enthusiast, or like some like a Boeing employee, or someone in Nam who had experience with that plane. Because for you to know that you could even open that those stairs from from the air, you know, um, just to have that knowledge. Yeah, they were like, uh, I don't know, we might get sucked out. <laughs>
0: yeah, the pilots uh, thought the plane wouldn't be able to fly. Yeah, and so air traffic control had to call boeing on the telephone yeah can we do this
1: yeah but he knew because maybe yeah he was throwing packages out in in nam or whatever i don't know but he definitely had familiarity with the with the plane one thing i did come up with in research too was that that particular plane the 727 i think the uh the smaller of the two which is what he was on um that was a big private plane for like the super rich like they, they turned that like Trump had one in the eighties or something and all sorts of rock stars had them. So maybe that was an angle, uh, although I doubt it, but cause if you were, you know, hanging around with that circle, you probably wouldn't need 200 grand.
0: <laughs> That's very true. Yeah. Right.
1: <laughs> but though, that was it. Those were like the three industries using it, private planes, uh, the military CIA, and then, yeah, just maybe, or like Christensen, someone who worked on those planes but not him. Um, and then, yeah, the particles of the, the medical particle metal particles in the, the tie. It's such a, it's all so interesting and so unanswered. It's just like, oh, it's frustrating, you know,
0: Max Gunther wrote a book in 1985 called DB Cooper. What really happened where it's uh, just a story from this gal named Clara about who db cooper was in his life and it was kind of discredited he put the book out as nonfiction, Mm -hmm. um but since the fbi files come out there have been things in there that turned out to be true that max gunther would have had no way of knowing before or when this book came out so (laughs) this book that everyone's discredited for all these years now we're kind of scratching our heads like (laughs) where did that come from how do you know that so it is. There's it's just so many of those little mysteries in this case.
1: I know. Was was he an alien or whatever? <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, let me ask you one thing that drives me crazy. Mm-hmm. Is there any evidence, in your opinion, that the flight crew was in on it?
1: No, I don't think so. If you think about it, the flight crew was like five, right? The pilot? or no, six. So seven people so 200 grand divided by seven, whatever that is, is that worth it? Like, you know, is it, don't do the crime if it's not worth the time. Um, are you going to risk, you know, losing your career, going to jail for like $30,000? I mean, I know some people would, but I don't think if I were the captain of an airplane, I would risk it for 30 grand.
0: Definitely not. I mean, and I've, I've spoken to uh, pilots and, and crew members and stewardesses, from that mm-hmm. era, you know, the golden age of flying. Yeah. And if there's one thing they all say about it, they loved their jobs. Loved yeah. it. It was prestigious. It was fun. Oh, yeah. They traveled. I mean, to be a 23 year old girl in 1971 and you can go to Rome for the weekend uh, yeah. and you're making good money. I mean,
1: you're not going to risk that for like a year's salary or whatever.
0: Exactly. Especially when you love your job. Yeah. It's not worth it.
1: I mean, ultimately he must've been a desperate guy. Why did he need 200 grand? It, it's a specific amount. It's, but it's not a crazy amount, you know, it, it's not like a million dollars at the time. It's so a, it's, it's like he needed this. It's almost like he had to like pay a ransom or something, right? Like uh he's like some desperate father or something like that. <laughs> like it's just such a, it's a small enough amount, but also large enough that, you know, the FBI gets involved in everything. It's not like he's doing this for 50 grand. But yeah, it's not this exorbitant sum of money either. It's
0: yeah, like a, a C1st Bank where they got the money from. Mm-hmm. They had $250,000 cash on hand
1: yeah, for such for a ransom. scenario
0: where they had mm-hmm. already, you know, tracked the or uh, documented the serial numbers of all the bills. And it it makes me wonder like did he know that they had 250 there and that's why his request was inside that number?
1: Then why not go for the full 250, right? At that point,
0: I, I don't know. It's...
1: <laughs> or is it like, uh, you know, like bank robbers, who, like leave the bottom bills in the drawer? Like <laughs> you think maybe <laughs> the bottom one's got that track and that last 50 grand will get you, but you'll get away scot free with the first 200. Who knows? It's just such an amazing story. And that's why, you know, I devoted almost like a year of my life to coming up with this book, writing it and illustrating it. Like, it was just such a fun story to, to spend that time in, um, just so cool. And like, I, I, like you said, man, like, I wish we had an ending to it, but we don't.
0: (laughs) Well, I appreciate that you spent a year of your life doing it. I I told my wife right after I looked at the book the first time I said, I'm going to buy 12 copies of this. Because hey! Please, thank you. Be a great gift for me to give to like nieces and nephews because I'm mm-hmm. super into this DB Cooper story. So I want everyone to do yeah. as well. And if it's for kids, I can't think of a, a better book than this to give them. The illustrations are fantastic. I love the way he looks in the book. I love the way <laughs> the planes depicted and everything. Yeah, uh, it's fantastic. I can't thank you enough for writing it, Tom. And, awesome. and thanks for thank coming you. on the show.
1: Yeah, no, this was an awesome experience. Um, and thank you for reaching out. It's just, you know, so as when you write a book and you put it out into the world, sometimes you don't even know if anybody's actually going to read it. And so it's just awesome to know that people are and, and people appreciate it.
0: I love yeah. it. And I encourage everyone listening to the show. If you know children, buy this book for them. I would encourage you to buy it for yourself. I mean, if you have a collection of D.B. Cooper books like I do, um, this one should be in it. Uh, it's good.
1: Nice. Thank you. So thanks Fits for It's right on, on. the show. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And yeah, and look out for uh, Jailbreak uh, at Alcatraz, which is coming out in the fall.
0: Hell yeah. We'll follow your work, Tom. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Escape at 10,000 Feet by Tom Sullivan. Pick it up. I can honestly say I'll be giving this book to many children as a gift. It really is the perfect children's book on the D.B. Cooper case. Tom has written and illustrated quite a few other books and has more unsolved case files coming out. You can see Tom's work on his website, thomasgsullivan.com. As always, we have links to it all in the show notes for you. Do you know who D.B. Cooper was? Would you like to advertise on the show? Do you have a problem with something we said? Hit us up. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or email us, dbcooperpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you to Tom Sullivan for doing such a good job telling the D.B. Cooper story to kids. Thank you to Russell Colbert for doing such a good job with this show. I'm Darren Schaefer, and thank you for listening to The Cooper Vortex.